Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who show for 2020. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is our January episode kicking off our fifth season of the Doctor Who show. Does does that make this our monster season, Rob? (laughs) Yes, yes. That's a good thing, right? (laughs) It is a good thing. It is a good thing. I like like all series (laughs) fives. So we're coming to you on Australia Day, so we're having a nice long weekend. And in our January show, because of course we are at time of recording, three episodes into the later series of Doctor Who, we're taking a moment to sort of pause, see where this series is, we'll have our usual news and a couple of mini topics, and then hear the more detailed feedback we've had from you guys, our listeners, which we really appreciate, and we'll be chatting about that. But look, for three months, every 18 months or so, we just delve into the new series, and that's what we're doing for this week. That's right, it's beginning again, day five years of the the monthly show that's just amazing so thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to us and for new people picking us up all the time it's actually around this time of year dave that we get new listeners uh via the uh weekly review shows and we hope you'll stick with us and you enjoy it and contribute right into us tweet us that's right and review us on itunes which is a lovely segue into a quick itunes review i wanted to do whenever we get these we throw them up the front of the show so dave i spotted this one on the uk itunes it's called great who by Basil, and uh, the message there is a lovely doctor who podcast from two guys who love who no hate just great conversations on interesting topics from the world of who great podcast chaps well thank you very much to uh, Bazool, I'm glad you enjoy it. I'm glad you think that we're hate-free. Um, you obviously haven't heard me talk about death in heaven, but apart from that, <laughs> uh, let's crack into the news, shall we? Yeah, let's get into the news, Dave. And I'll start with, obviously, the uh, the elephant in the room that I think everyone's been talking about online, and we should talk about it here too. That's the ratings for the new series. Uh, yes, these always seem to exercise Doctor Who fans in ways that few things can and well from what I've actually seen they're not bad are they I don't think they're bad at all particularly the first couple of episodes that came back but they have had a a downward trend so that the haters have been out there particularly the YouTube guys who make these videos you know day after day after day saying how much they dislike the show and I, I keep thinking why do you keep watching the show if you hate it so much? I know why they do it. It's because they're getting clicks. They they sort of monetize a certain section of fandom who wants to hear this hateful stuff mm. and, and just keep repeating the same, the same comments over and over about how they don't like Jodie and how they don't like this and they don't like that. And people keep clicking on the videos and these people actually make money out of it. It's quite strange. It happens in Star Wars fandom and other fandoms too. I find it very odd. But getting back to the ratings themselves, uh, as we mentioned, at the start of the show there have been three episodes at the time of recording here uh obviously by the time we actually hear this there will have been four but we we don't know about the fourth one yet because it hasn't happened and dave for spyfall parts one and two the uh the consolidated figures which are the seven day viewings as they call them with all the uh extra viewings and 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 catch-up tv factored in 
Spyfall Part 1 was 6.89 million, and Spyfall Part 2 was 6.07 million. And Orphan 55, we don't have the consolidated figure for. It came in with an overnight of 4.19 million, uh, and we'll probably end, if those earlier figures are right, around 6 million once we factor in all the other viewings. So it seems to be settling between high and low 6 millions at present consolidated. Yeah. As I've said many times on this podcast now, I work in an industry in politics where we do a lot of polling and we, we see a lot of information. And I keep saying to people, don't forget these things have margins of error. And don't forget that one data sample actually can't tell you that much. It's only when you start to collect multiple data samples over a longer period of time and you can see trends that uh, you can actually make in authoritative comments. And if the trend for this season is that it settles down to a six to seven million mark and, and it stays around there, then that's actually very healthy. If they decline over time, well, that happens with series. We don't know. We're speculating. Of course, ratings sometimes can tell you about spikes. Now, I know you've got the figures for the woman who fell to earth to give us in a moment. And that, that's a very quantifiable spike for a very clear reason. Mm. Uh, but what matters is the trend, but also what matters is the competition. And the reality is Doctor Who, whether you think the numbers are good, bad or ugly is more or less winning its slot and more or less winning the day. Yeah, that's the big thing that came out, especially with the uh, Spyfall Part 1 episode. These YouTube haters and others were out there saying, oh, look, it's down, it's down. But my first response was, yes, but look at it compared to the rest of the day. It was the second highest rating show on the day. So if people are watching less Doctor Who, they're also watching less television in general. This was with regard to the overnights. And I also think New Year's Day was an odd time of um, year for a lot of people. You know, people are travelling and, and doing things as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, but I will say, we've we've reported on viewing figures on the show now. Obviously, this is our fifth year of the show to know all the tricks for making the figures look bad and conversely making them look good. So I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there, Dave. For mine, no matter how you slice and dice these figures, it does seem, though, that some viewers are missing. And even if we take into account the woman who fell to earth being a spike, because it was 10.96 million, almost 11 million, you know, you can sort of hold that up and say, oh, look, that was 11 million, and Orphan 55 will settle around 6 million. That's 5 million different. But no, there was a spike involved there. But putting that aside, I think there might be at least 1 to 2 million fans who have sort of disappeared year on year. When you start to look at The Woman Who Fell to Earth was almost 11 million, yes, but The Ghost Monument was 9, Consolidated Rose was 8.4. So it actually started trending down at, at the start of last series too. And just when I start to compare the, the later episodes, I think, yeah, yeah, th there are fans who disappeared and maybe haven't come back, but it's not as bad as the, the sort of 5 million figure that a hater would throw at you. No, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that there are people who came along and made a point of watching Jodie Whittaker's first episode because mm. it was quite a historic event in not just Doctor Who but in British television. A, a long-running institutional show had its first female lead. Of course people were going to tune in. Uh, the other thing to remember, of course, is that these aren't necessarily the same people every week. So when we say Spyfall Part 1 had 6.89 million and Spyfall Part 2 had 6.07 million... That doesn't actually mean that exactly the same 6.07 million were there. It could mean that 2 million didn't watch that one, but new people came in and watched instead. You know, it, it, they're not the same people every week, and there are going to be people who see 
most episodes of the show, but don't see every episode of the show. It, it's very complicated, but you're right. People have dropped off compared to last year, it would seem, but the show is still winning its day, more or less. Mm. Television ratings generally are down as well. So, yeah, look, you, you can, as you say, Rob, you can kind of spin this any way you like. Oh, indeed, because, you know, when we think about catch-up TV, again, playing devil's advocate, don't tell me that some of those catch-up figures aren't some fans watching the episode twice. So, you know, when we look at the, the, the catch-up figures, some of them will be people who are already counted in the overnights as well. So that just adds a new level of complexity to analysing this. Oh, absolutely. And by the same token, there are going to be people who were away or busy or didn't get into the show straight away, but will watch it on catch-up in three or four weeks' time, so not be caught in those figures. It's, it's as I say, it's not an exact science. There's a margin of error with all of this. All you can do is look at trends, mm. and all you can do is look at how it does on the day. And look, for a show that's in its 15th year, to be the number one or two show on a particular day on UK television, or at least on the BBC, that's not a bad thing. I mean, in fact, in fact, that's a very good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And before we jump off this, I, I do want to say... Uh, I, I do want to be clear, that is, I'm not hoping that the series crashes and burns when I talk about, you know, ratings and play devil's advocate and such. You know, indeed, at the time of recording with those three episodes we've seen, I quite liked two of them, and it was only Orphan 55 that was a bit odd. But I digress. I'd be delighted for this series to succeed. At the same time, though, I do have to comment on what's in front of me and try and make some sense of it. And the other reality that I think is fairly indisputable is that the show is stronger now than it was during some parts of the Capaldi years, which is a shame because I loved most of the all of the Capaldi years. Uh, but did did the gamble of having Jodie Whittaker pay off in terms of ratings? I think it probably probably has. Yeah, that's right. Some of those Capaldi episodes went very, very, very low, which just goes to show it's not a matter of the story. Some people say, oh, Orphan 55 had terrible overnights. That's because it was a terrible story. Well, look, some of those later Capaldi stories were marvellous stories, and they had even worse overnights. So, yeah. Yes, and don't forget, the people who watched Orphan 55 didn't know if it was good or bad until they'd finished watching. They don't don't know in advance this is going to be a bad episode, so I won't watch it. You know, sometimes these things are reflections of the past episode or the publicity and all all that sort of thing. Nobody has the foresight to know, I'm not going to watch this one, it'll be a bad one. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Unless, of course, you know, and, and the production team has done this going back 30, 40 years. If you advertise that the Daleks are going to be there, you can generally expect there to be a spike. You know, that sort of thing. Because then you do know, okay, it's going to be a Dalek story. I will turn on for this. Exactly. Shall we move on? Uh, Yeah, so look, just a little article that amused us both, Rob. And this is from the RadioTimes.com. And it's headlined, Doctor Who boss says he can't read reviews or online feedback. It's not a democracy. (laughs) Um, And this is basically a little sort of clickbait article in the Radio Times Online saying that Uh, Chris Chibnall doesn't read reviews, he doesn't read reports, he doesn't look at ratings, all that sort of thing. Uh, And there's a little quote here where Chibnall says, One thing I've learned about showrunning down the years is that you can only control what you can control. There are lots of things you can't control, so try not to worry about them. Rob, (laughs) did you buy this? Well, Dave, I'm going to say, so, so this is the fella back in the day who thought it was, you know, good and noble for fans to go on TV and, and tell the producer <laughs> how much they didn't like the show. So he thought feedback was good back then, but now it's not. Is, isn't that the same guy? It's the same guy. 
Yeah. Well, putting that aside, look, I, I get where he's coming from. He he has a vision. He's not writing by committee. And in some ways, that's actually good. But at the same time, I think feedback like, I don't know, you've got way too many bloody companions, Chris, that almost every fan has said over the past two series, whether they're the haters on YouTube or whether they're people who are all peace, love and mung beans and actually like Chibnall who... Every fan has been saying he's got way too much companions, but apparently he doesn't listen to any feedback, even useful feedback like that. Uh, so I'm a bit torn on how he uh, he is on this topic. Look, I think this is a very carefully and cleverly worded article and set of comments from Chibnall. Mm -hmm. Can I believe that he doesn't sit down on a Monday morning after the show's come out and read every review and he doesn't go onto forums and have a look and he doesn't you know, read every letter that comes. I, I can very much believe that he doesn't do that. And in fact, it probably is appropriate that he doesn't. That would just be a distraction. Mm -hmm. uh, can I believe that somewhere in the BBC there is not data analysed and reported back to the showrunner about the show? <laughs> absolutely not. The, the BBC would absolutely know not just how the show is rating, but how it's rating with different demographics. Is it getting the kids in? Is it getting the youth in? Is it more popular with the over 50s, males, mm. females? They would absolutely know that sort of data. They would also know which characters are more popular and which ones aren't. I mean, for goodness sake, there are reports going back for uh, the first series of Blake 7 in the late 70s where they could tell you, you know, everybody loves Avon on Villa and Kelly and Gann, not so much. You know, the BBC has always done this sort of data analysis. Of course they don't have a Doctor Who. They can tell you that people do or don't love Graham. They do or don't like Yaz. Uh, they can tell you that they love it when the Daleks come back or not. They can tell you that people think it wasn't exciting enough or it was too exciting. There's no doubt the BBC is doing that analysis and there's mm. no doubt that Chibnall gets a report about that. Now, whether he sits there and says, well, I'm going to change everything I'm doing because of that or or not, not I don't know. But somebody from the BBC sat down with him and said, uh, now, Chris, you're... Uh, you're not doing too well with females aged 16 to 26. Uh, any chance you could, you know, maybe do do something for them? Like, of course that meeting's happening. Now, yes. to, to what extent it ties in with what he does, I don't know. Um, I do think that some of that feedback that his previous series was a bit dry, needed that excitement, that monsters, that the explosions, as we've said again and again and again. I think that that has been a common theme in feedback. I think that probably could have been distilled into a report and I think we have seen some change in that direction now that's nothing to be ashamed of that's that's perfectly good feedback yeah it's almost that, that he doesn't want to admit that he takes the feedback on board because you're right this series has started a lot better than the previous one even this past episode Orphan 55 so terrible amongst so many fans yet I can still see what it was trying to do and it was still better than some of the episodes in last series yeah absolutely <laughs> Orphan 55, for all its faults, and, and as the week's gone on, its faults have sort of become more and more apparent in my mind, I've got to admit. Yes. Um, but but it did go at a real clip. It did have incredibly cool monsters. It, it was exciting. It did have explosions. It, and in that sense, compared to something like the Saranga conundrum, yes. <laughs> you know, you know it, 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 is, it is, I think, a step in the right direction. And I think that that is a sense that some feedback has been heard. Now, it's possible they also said yeah, you know what, Four Companions isn't working and maybe a particular companion's less possible than the others. And he said, well, sorry, this is my vision, this is my master plan, I know where each of these four is going, so get stuffed, I'm keeping them. Mm -hmm. That's fine, you know, that's fine. He has a plan, he has a vision. Do I think that there was no reporting on it? No. 
Yeah, exactly. Moving on, Dave, Big Chief. People seem to like when I talk about Big Chief here. They're the folk who make the big 12-inch figures. They've got currently a fourth Doctor on pre-order, and it still hasn't sold out a few weeks after the pre-orders went out, and I'm I'm shaking my head at this, Dave. So, is this just because the lines are sort of getting a bit bigger and people have opened their wallets a couple too many times and you know, just it's hard to open your wallet for fourth or fifth time? Well, this is the thing. I mean, to, to be fair, there's now less than 100 pieces left. So there's, you know, there's been some good sales on these initial 500 signed figures. But Tom figures to date, uh, the, the previous figure was a season 13, 14 kind of costume. They sold like hotcakes. And even when they released additional figures that weren't numbered and they called them artist proof, I'm doing quotation marks here, Dave, artist proof versions and sold them at huge money, they sold really quick too. So is it fatigue for buying the figures in general? It could be. Is it fatigue for buying the Tom figure? People think, well, I've already got the Tom Baker. Do I need yeah. another one? Is it dislike of the series or the season, I should say, 18 costume? I know that's anathema to you. Is it disappointment with Doctor Who in general? Have they just watched Orphan 55 and think, oh, I'm over this? But, you know, even the Pertwee figure sold faster than this, uh, and that one's not even autographed for obvious reasons. So I don't know. I, I think, and I have no evidence to back this up whatsoever, but I think that most fans would like the idea of having a set of Doctors, whether it's 1 to 7, 1 to 8, or 1 to 13, or whatever. Mm. Um, they would like the idea of having a set of Doctors. They probably don't feel the need to have two Toms. The only counter I'd say to that, though, was they put out a couple of Smithies and a couple of Tenants. Uh, obviously, Smithy had two dis- very distinct costumes, and Tenant at least had a blue and a brown suit. Ah, and they all sold out, so I don't know. I guess I knew who Doctors, though, so they might be more popular in some ways. Yeah, there's probably a slightly different demographic. I, I think there would be people who would just be buying 1 to 7, frankly, and yeah. then there'd be another group that would be buying 1 to 13 or possibly 9 to 13, and I think that that would make a bit of a difference or an expansion in the market. There's probably more people buying those ones, and there are, yeah. Yeah, but look, it's just speculation, but uh, look... All products have a, a lifespan, and there are only so many times you can ask people to open their wallet and get the same response. Mm. But anyway, if you do want a Season 18 Tom Baker, signed by Tom Baker, lovely little plaque you get with it to stand next to the figure on your shelf, um, get in now. There's less than 100 left. Speaking of asking fans to open their wallets again and again and again and again, <laughs> our, our Blu-ray watch segment, as we've become to call it, yes. can give you the update that although Season 26 uh, has hit the shelves in the UK and is not yet available for pre-order in Australia, which is a bit disappointing, <laughs> they have announced the next one coming definitely in the UK, and we assume in Australia, is the Season 14 Blu-ray box set. Rob, are you excited for this one? Yes, Dave, and have you seen the trailer for it? No. Oh, the trailer for this is very, very good. You have Louise Jamison, who's out in her, you, well, I assume at her house, or maybe the house they've hired. She's in the, the, the garden, and she's being served tea by a Vok robot. 
And it's very, very good. And all of this is being narrated by Tom Baker, too, by the way. But it all goes out of control. Louise ends up having to kill the Vok robot. Spoilers. Uh, and in between all of this, we get to see a look at the new Season 14 content, which includes, Dave, an updated rat in Talons. Can you believe that? That's really interesting. I, uh, I'm i really... I'm more than anything, I'm just curious to see what it looks like. I, I, how, how do they make it like Carrie Leela and, and all that sort of stuff? That's really quite interesting. And, you know, like the, the scenes that came up and Magnus Grill fed it its dinner and stuff. That's My mind sort of boggles at that. Yeah, look, the scene is so dark, it's really hard to see. In fact, when I watched this in, in daytime on my phone, it was so dark I couldn't see anything. I had to go home and look at it on the PC. But it does look really good. I quite like the tweak because that's one of the big issues with that story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to trigger people by saying that's one of the big issues with that story. <laughs> uh, because, of course, now that they've talked about season 14, all the usual hand-wringing about talons has come out, uh, which was never a thing for decades, but in the current climate, saying you like talons is a bit like, well, starting a world war or something. But uh, I like talons, so sue me. Yeah, look, there are lots of very good stories in this season. Robots of Death is a top 10 for me. The Deadly Assassin's probably a top 20 for me. Uh, the Day God Went... Sorry, The Face of Evil is, <laughs> is you know, is one that I really love. I enjoy The Mask of Mandragora. And, and Talons is a really good story. Uh, look, there are absolutely problematic problems with Talons. I think I raised a couple of months ago when I was watching uh, The Mind of Evil, the, the gentleman who plays the... Chinese ambassador there could quite easily have played Lee Seng Chang. And so yeah. you know, there, there was no desperate need to do John Bennett. And yet, yes, that probably was, well, sorry, it was a mistake on, on the on the um, production team's part. But that doesn't mean that it's not a cracking good story. I think that most intelligent and mature people can understand that there are problems with it and still enjoy it. Um, I'm still waiting for a lot of the people who are up in arms about uh, the racism talents of Wen Chiang to be equally as up in arms about the anti-Semitism in The Creature from the Pit. I've been waiting for several years and I still wait. Uh, that's just an aside. It's one of those situations, Dave, where I don't think they've either seen Creature from the Pit or it's just not high profile enough for them. Yeah, no, it's a really, really good season of Doctor Who. I said that when the season 10 was announced and released that there's no bad story. Uh, I think there's one bad story in this. Hand of Fear. Yeah, it's not so great, actually. Yeah, you're it's, right. It's not so great. It's not terrible. I mean, I mean, this is the thing about the Hinchcliffe era, is that if its low point is something like the Hand of Fear, that's a pretty high low point, if you get what I mean. I do. Um, but yeah, no, some favourite stories of mine, so I'm looking forward to getting it. This will be the third Tom box set, and we're still waiting for anything from the 60s. Yeah, it'll come. It'll come, I'm sure of it. Oh, look, it has to, but I'm just, just getting impatient. <laughs> shall we move on to short topics uh so three this month and rob you're kicking us off yes dave and the first one is something we've already started to touch on which is orphan 55 because since our episode went out we've listened to other podcasts and we've read a lot of articles and social posts and it's clear this episode was a stinker for well, let's not mince words, a lot of people. Even people we know uh, who have all the goodwill in the world for Jody and the Chibnall era, uh, even they thought it was oddly scripted, it was heavy-handed rather than elegant in its preachiness, all the stuff we were saying in our, in our hot take, and basically a big waste of space. 
Of course, for people who decided they hated Jodie's era before it even began, it's just been fuel for the fire that Doctor Who is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. And certainly, we weren't declaring Doctor Who dead when we reviewed it and said, look, it's not so great. In some cases, I think we liked it more than some of our friends uh, and saw what it was trying to do. But damn, after that big series opener that even some harsh critics concluded was good, dumb fun, I think Orphan 55 stunk to high hell. And CheatSheet.com which I'd never heard of before now, had pulled together comments off social that were new to me. Well, maybe the sentiments weren't new, but the posters were. And I'll, I'll read a few unless you have some, uh, some thoughts on this, Dave. Look, I'll, I'll simply go to perhaps clarify. It's not been universally panned, and we didn't want to give that impression. There have been people I've listened to and read who, who quite enjoyed this one, but I think it almost universally has been said to have been weaker than Spyfall. Mm-hmm. And yes, there have been people who, like us, struggled with it and, and saw its faults, but saw its good points as well, uh, and, and that balance has been there. But I have listened to a couple of podcasts that have just torn this story limb from bleeding limb in, mm. in, 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 a, in a just a most dramatic way. Uh, there was one podcast that started working out, you know, th- this is the worst story since, and went back six or seven years before they could agree, and, you know, I think Nightmare in <laughs> Silver was the one that, where they had to stop and go, oh, well, that's actually worse, um, which, which I think is a bit unfair. But, but, but you know, yeah, th- th- there has been a lot more dislike of this than I've seen around uh, an episode for a long time. Yeah, well, look, we'll, we'll quickly go through a few of these. Um, one fan on Twitter said, Compare Whitaker's lecture at the end of Orphan 55 to Capaldi's speech at the end of the Zygon inversion. And I think, yeah, that, that's a fair comment. Well, well, I actually thought that Capaldi's speech at the end of the Zygon inversion was, was woefully ill-judged and tone-deaf. Um, so um, I will compare them, and they're both terrible. Ah! <laughs> what about the delivery, though, Dave, if not the content? I, I couldn't remember. I actually have. I found the Zygon Inversion Invasion so problematic that I just have no desire to go back and watch it again, and I haven't. So I couldn't tell you. I'm, I, no, I couldn't tell you. Sorry, I'll be unfair to Jody to compare to something I don't really remember. Mm, fair enough. In another fan's opinion, no one disagrees with the message of Orphan 55, but that ending was. Uh, another one says they wholeheartedly agree with the speech, but they feel uh, it ruined the moment with forced dialogue and an awkward ending. And another Twitter user said an overly long summary speech. So it seems people were seeing the same stuff over and over and over again, even if they agreed with the premise. Yeah, I was very genuinely surprised that friends of mine who wear their progressive values very, very openly, Mm. and I thought would be very positively disposed to this one, even though they were, as your comment just then said, positively disposed to the message, did say it was ham-fisted and really badly, very badly done. Yeah, and look, I've noticed that across the board, this series, people who I thought were very into the Whitaker era are more open with saying what they don't like. Because some people didn't like aspects of Spyfall 1 and 2 as well, and, and they've just been out there saying it. I thought this is very different to the first series. It looks like all that goodwill and uh, hope for some people has certainly worn off. They're, they're being a lot more uh, centrist this time around. Uh, maybe, maybe, mm. yes, yes. Mm. I don't know. One topic from me, Rob... Month or so ago, when we talked about the season ten Blu-ray, you specifically said you're going to go away and watch what is one of my personal favourite stories. I'm not saying it's a classic and that everyone should think it, think it is, but me personally, I really love Frontier in Space. Did you watch it? And if so, what did you think? I did watch it, Dave. 
and I quite liked it. And I know there's nothing uh, so so boring as the word like. You know, I liked it. So let me let me try and tease <laughs> that out a bit. I think this is one of the stories for me that are very competent, even very good, but don't shout classic from the rooftops. And you may have even prefaced that thought just a moment ago. Because it's not the demons, it's not Spearhead from Space, or to go slightly outside Pertwee, it's not the invasion from Pat's era, or, I don't know, Ark in Space from Tom's. But it's very good. Uh, I like the Draconians a lot. I'm genuinely surprised they've not been back in New Who. I think the Master is fantastic in this. He's not deranged. You and I have had this conversation, actually. If, if anything, he seems slightly almost bored and sort of underplayed, but always full of menace. And I really, really like that. You know, so to people who say the Master's always, you know, skipping around and clapping and being deranged. No, 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 he really isn't. Um, there are wonderful cliffhangers. Uh, being in that mm. room, losing the oxygen, and they've got empty oxygen tanks. That was generally like, oh, how do they get out of this? I couldn't remember when I was watching it this time around. And I like that whole jail on the moon thing. You know, they had the intellectuals there, professor types, student types. And not once, Dave, does Pert sort of turn side onto the camera and lament that locking up smart people for being smart people is bad. That's just left to the audience to decide. And there's a there's a subtle dig at recent episodes of uh, Chibnall Who. I really agree with you, Rob. I think that Malcolm Hulk is one of the best writers for delivering a message without actually delivering a message. And mm. you're right. He just portrays scenarios that you know are bad. Locking yes. up political prisoners is bad. And and you don't just talk about it. You go and have Pertwee locked up in this, this moon jail, this space prison, with these prisoners and you quickly work out these guys aren't criminals no. they, they're, they're people who founded an opposition party and spoke out against the government and they've been sent to the moon this is bad or when you get that speech from that opposition senator that you know war 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 and you, you know you don't need the doctor to turn around and say you know it's very bad if somebody's advocating for you know we should always work for peace you just go that guy's nuts and this is a bad thing to be advocating correct um, you know it, it's really good and the fact that all the characters you like are working towards peace and the characters you don't like are working towards conflict. So, yeah, I think it's really good. But you're right, the Draconians are wonderful. I think Pert was in good form. Katie Manning's in great form. And it's got that space opera feel that I love where it, it moves between the Earth and the Moon and Draconia and the planet of the Ogrons and it's got a real epic sense to it. There's different spaceship models. I really, really like it. Rob is a fan of Babylon 5. Did you find it felt familiar to you? Well, I was just going to say, you, you're just saying there, it moves from here to here to here. I was going to say, yeah, it moves from jail cell to jail cell to jail cell <laughs> if I'm playing devil's advocate. There's a lot of being locked up in this story, Dave. Yeah, look, look that is true. That is true. Uh, but uh, look, as a fan of Babylon 5, yes, I mean, it's not the full space opera I thought I would get, and sometimes the interiors of the ships are a little disappointing in terms of like the control panels and things like that. But it is seventies. Who? Uh, oh, look! Look, the Ogron flight deck is is clearly just a, a flat and a desk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look. Speaking as a B five fan, yes, I did like it. It certainly falls onto the this is a good Pertwee story side of the ledger for me. Absolutely. And of course, the Doctor Who story that, that did inspire some of the Babylon 5 plots uh, with JMS. Of course. Oh, I see where you were leading there. Yes. <laughs> Very good. 
Uh, moving along, because I know we've got a lot of listener feedback coming. Dave, I want to finish out our short topics by asking you, is Series 12 of New Who the equivalent to the old Season 25? And by this, I mean it's a better season than the one that preceded it, and it's going to lead into maybe a third that's even better. But the viewers are starting to go. There's a lot of dissent around the show in fandom. And will the show get maybe rested after a third season of Jodie Whittaker? I think that's a really good question. I've often compared the McCoy era to the process of turning a tanker at sea. You can't just take an oil tanker that's moving at full pelt in one direction and do a 180-degree turn and go in another direction overnight. And with the McCoy era, you do see that slow turning of the show around. By the time you get to Dragonfire, it's really starting to turn in the direction Cartmel and McCoy want to take it, even more so by the time you get to Season 25, and it's fully turned by the time you get to Season 26. I think the same thing happened when Moffat took over. It took Moffat a full season, uh, so that is what was it, 12 or 13 stories went in season 5, which mm-hmm. is, is the equivalent of the 12 stories of the McCoy era. It, it took him that full season to really shift the show from Russell T. Davies' direction to his own direction. And by the time you get to the start of series 6, absolutely, we're going full pelt, full speed in the Moffat direction. But season 5 really does feel like we start with a kind of a Moffat spin on RTD, and we move and we move and we move, and by the end of it, we're doing full Moffat. Yeah. So it yeah, probably isn't a shock that it's taking Chibnall a while to do that as well. And I suspect, as you say, when we get potentially three or four years into the Chibnall era, or potentially when the Chibnall era is in the rearview mirror and we're having this conversation in five, six, seven years' time, mm-hmm. we will look back at these stories and go, okay, well, we can really see Chibnall just turning the show around in season... Um, 11, season 12, he's kind of got it where he wants it to go. Possibly by the end of season 12, we're going, right, we've hit full Chibnall. And that's what season 13 is all about. You know, they, it, We don't know. But yeah, it wouldn't shock me if that was the case. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to have all these questions pop up in my head. Because, you know, you look at Capaldi, he only did the three seasons. You look at, you know, Smith, same. And I just think, would, would Jodie actually do four seasons? I, I don't think she would. So we could be looking at her swan song coming in the next one. Does she go into that series with the same three companions? Or are we going to lose one or all of them this this series so that she has a, another series with someone new and a different vibe there in the TARDIS? Or, or does she just carry them all through to the end of her third series? In which case, the next Doctor picks up Ryan, Yaz and Graham. I think they're going to bump one of them off this this season, I think, Dave. So, Rob, this segues us very nicely into the main topic for the episode, which is listener feedback and talking in a more general sense about where we are with the series at the moment. Mm. And one piece of speculation that has started to come across, and, and this is not spoilers because it's purely based on what we've seen in the three episodes, is that there is something going on with Dafam and maybe one or two of the companions are becoming a bit disillusioned with the Doctor, and maybe there's going to be a consequence or a payoff for that at the end of the series. Mm, I'm certainly hoping so, because a bit of drama in there is is a nice thing, rather than Jodie just being a happy-go-lucky children's television presenter with people she always gets on well with. I think a, a bit of spice in there is good. Yeah, and I don't know that we've necessarily seen the full consequences of that final couple of scenes in Orphan 55, where the Doctor 
seems to leave two or more people to their death. Yes, and, and didn't stick up for the dregs of society like she normally would. But that's a whole other story, Dave. Yeah, look, it is, it is. But I think it does lend itself to that speculation that maybe there is going to be a, a payoff for this. But look, to, to frame our ongoing discussion about the series, we're going to read out some emails and comments. Uh, shall I go first, Rob? Yeah, please, Dave. Our first piece of correspondence is an email from Oliver Scrivener. And he writes, Hello, Robin Dave. It's me, Oliver Scrivener. You may remember me from when my good friend David Young mentioned me on the podcast. Yes, we do. Thank you for yeah, writing in. That's right. I think uh, it was late last year. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna test my memory here, Dave. I think it was late last year. I'm going to say November. And I'm going to say Dave Young said uh, Oliver is a boy at his school. I hope that we're right, because that was my memory. And I must have, must have been, Oliver, when you used the phrase, you may remember me from, I did read that in my mind in Troy McClure's voice. You may remember me from such emails as... <laughs> Oliver good. goes on to say, Anyway, I would like to ask you if you remember in Spyfall, the Silver Lady malfunctioned. So I would like to ask, where did Daniel Barton go and will he return? Yours sincerely, Oliver Scrivener. Well, as we discussed... Daniel Barton did disappear. He extracted himself with his security team. Mm. Where did he go? I assume either to his company building or to a safe house that he had. Although, did he go to the Master's TARDIS? That's a really good question, Dave. I think just in general terms, I mean, this guy is uber rich. But this thing he did with the the screens and such is going to be, you know, broadcast news all over the world. It's going to look like he's gone a bit crazy. So, yeah, maybe a safe room is a good idea. Maybe he'll he'll just retreat from public life like, you know, Daniel's had a bit of a moment, everybody. But obviously he's still out there, still got a lot of money. Will he return? I don't think so, although it's the kind of thing that could pop up in the final episode of the series and, and, and everyone goes, oh, of course, he's back. I, I don't know really which way to fall there. Oh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes. Oh, okay. I, I think that you don't have a character as integral to the plot as, as Barton and as front and centre of, of the show in that he was played by Lenny Henry, who was a advertised, wow, hey kids, we've got Lenny Henry. Like mm. To have Lenny Henry play a character that important and have him forgotten about at the end of the episode to the point that both of us and a number of other reviewers we listened to didn't even notice what had happened to him. Like, what, well, hang on, what happened to Lenny Henry's character? Like, like, you don't leave that door open unless you've got a reason to go through it. This isn't like the not-Trump-Trump character in um, Spiders in a Hotel Room that we had last season who, like, just kind of... The episode ends. We haven't got time to deal with you, so who cares? Like he, he, he was, you know, he was just a minor character in a minor episode played by an actor who, you know, not not, not a minor actor, but not a Lenny Henry level actor. Mm. Um, so who cares if he's left alone? I think it is it is inconceivable that there is not going to be a payoff for this, and I fully expect him to be back at the end of the season. So you'll be more surprised if he's not back. Yes, absolutely. 
And so the next one, Dave, is from friend of the show, Steve Panozzo via Facebook. Steve's responding to our late December episode where we were reading uh, questions and emails and such from listeners. And Rob Kelly, one of our regulars, had written in to say he had a book signed by Tom Baker. The book was from 1979 and had Tom Baker been in Australia. We gave uh, a bit of an answer to that. And Steve has more information here. He says, Prime computer ads were created for the Australian market, not New Zealand, though they probably did run there too. They did two series of TV spots in 79 and 80, the second wearing his season 18 outfit, and magazine ads, which I still have, says Steve. Uh, His two visits here were, he thinks, a joint venture between the ABC and Grace Brothers. Gosh, there's a a chain of stores we don't even have anymore. Um, Not to be confused with the UK Grace Brothers, by the way, on Are You Being Served? Um, He says, I saw him after school in 1979 at Warringah Mall and in 1980 at Chatswood. The 1980 visit also featured an interview on John Singleton's chat show on Channel 10, which he recorded on audio cassette. That seems to be a thing for fans back in the day, Dave, recording things on audio cassette. Can I call you Tom, or would you... Well, I don't mind it. I, I, I would prefer if you said Doctor. Yes. Okay, Doctor. <laughs> Let's keep it professional. Yeah. Mate, Doctor Who has to be the weirdest show on television. Yes. You are the star of this show, Tom. I Doctor. Am. Yes. <laughs> you weird, mate? <laughs> no. No, you, like, it's not like Star Wars or anything, is it? It's got, uh... Oh, uh, no, I think it's, uh, it's a step up from that, isn't it, I think? <laughs> Uh, and he had just filmed, or was about to film, a role in the TV movie The Curse of King Tut's Tomb on location in Egypt. Uh, and while he wore his multicoloured scarf and a green felt hat on these visits, the rest of his ensemble was not part of his TV costume. I hope that is faintly interesting. Well, it is, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, that's added a lot more information than we had, and coming from Steve's personal experiences makes it even more interesting. So, yeah, thank you for that. Mm. I'll read out now an email from Shane Roth. G'day, fellas. Got home from work and went straight to Ivy and... And... Well, let's just say, if that's the standard for season two of The 13th Doctor, then f*** me, I am in. <laughs> Very good. I liked the last series. I like all Doctor Who. However, for all its faults, all is forgiven. This was like Broadchurch standard chimdle for me, and long may his reign continue. Okay, sure. In 10 weeks' time, I might be eating my words. But for how I feel right now after Spyfall Part 1, welcome back to the greatest show in the galaxy, Shane. Yeah. I don't think Shane was alone in feeling very, very positive after Spyfall Part 1. Oh, completely agree. Uh, And even Spyfall Part 2, I think, was great. I'm wondering how Shane feels now after Orphan 55. And and this comes back to what I said (laughs) earlier about data points. Like... At the end of the season, we're going to know, was Orphan 55 the start of a trend, or are we going to go, that was an awesome nine episodes plus Orphan 55? Like, we don't know. Yeah, look, I, I really don't. I know this next one, the, the Nikola Tesla's uh, Night of Terror's got a funny name, and I don't know if it's going to be jokey and go in a direction maybe we don't like. I'm trying not to prejudge. We shall see. We shall. Moving on, uh, Jeff Goddard. This one's by email. He says, good morning, gentlemen. Firstly, thanks for the first hot take I've listened to. Interesting listening indeed, but was rather struck by Dave's comments regarding the Doctor's reaction to the Master reveal. I think like a lot of us older fans, he was reading how the Doctor should traditionally react 
to the master. Uh, not one of horror, but more of a grudging respect or annoyance. I think, however, given the arc of series 10 and the modern Who's approach to character and storytelling, her reaction made perfect sense. At least on first watch, I haven't had a chance to revisit yet. Capaldi's doctor put himself into exile on Earth to watch over the vault in a vow to his friend, Missy. He strove to bring that friend back to him and back to a gentler way of being. Did something pass between them in their final moments together? Did the doctor still hold on to that burning hope that the master could be redeemed in any form? I think maybe so. In series 11, she certainly describes herself as a doctor of hope. To then, in Skyfall Part 1, to have seen that hope, time and effort and sacrifice uh, have all been for naught and the master had to have returned to form, what we saw, to me anyway, was the despair of fruitless effort, the loss of the doctor's best friend and maybe just the erosion of some of that self-assured hope. Am I reading too much into this? Possibly. Am I giving Chris Chibnall too much credit? Again, possibly. And I guess it's too early to be certain. I'm sure part two will reveal more. Sorry for rambling and very happy new year to you both. All the best from Jeff Goddard at the City of Jeff on Twitter. Look, that's very fair comment. And it's a very, very fair and reasonable analysis. As I've said in other conversations, I never bought into the whole Missy arc, as, as, as you know. And so that's not really sitting deep in, deep in grand with me, certainly not in the way that the classic master is, because that's the master that I was brought up with and, and watched as a kid. So, yeah, it's very possible that I was bringing those prejudices to the moment, and that influenced my view. And I think what, what Jeff is saying is a very reasonable defence or reasonable alternate take. Uh, it's television. It kind of depends on how it lands for you. But given that Jody was very strong and forceful in the second half of Spyfall, particularly when dealing with the Master, I do think that Jeff's read is more accurate than mine was. That's right. Now that we've seen that second part, she had some great scenes there, and uh, I agree. Yeah, good call, Jeff. And, and look, this is the, the joy and danger of doing hot takes. The reaction that I had in my hot take when I've just watched the episode, mm-hmm. after two weeks and I've heard debate and other views, and you look back at it, you go, yeah, maybe, maybe I was a bit harsh. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And the flip side of that is obviously our earlier message saying, you know, Spyfall Part 1 is amazing, but they hadn't got to the third episode at that point. So it's very timey-wimey doing a show like this, Dave. It's great. It is. We'll move now to another email from a regular writer. And thank you for writing in again, Sheldon Carnegie. Mm. Robin Dave, happiest of Happy New Year's to the pair of years. Oh, good. Thank you. Right off the front, I hope that you all and your families are faring well with the wildfires that are going on in Australia right now. I don't know how far you are from the activity, but I give you all our best wishes. Look, thank you for that. Um, The fires, I think, are starting to ease. We are starting to get a rain going through. I've been reasonably okay in Melbourne, although we've had incredible smoke and incredible coverage and real issues in other parts of the state. But, Rob, you've been a bit closer up in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the the suburbs of Sydney. Uh, It's a big set of suburbs. And at some stages, fire was approaching uh, a suburb about 20 minutes away from me. Now, there was a lot of suburbia between me and it in those 20 minutes, so I'm not I'm not trying to make out that I was, you know, being fantastically brave and in the fire zone or anything. It, it would not have reached me. Way too much suburbia in between, not enough bush. But uh, just to think that 20 minutes down the road, or maybe 25, because it actually didn't get that far, 
there was a really big fire burning was very confronting and a bit scary, even though I knew it wasn't going to reach me. Yeah. So, yeah, look, thank you for uh, those comments. Sheldon goes on to say, I wanted to start off by saying how absolutely cool it was that you have guys answer my questions via other podcasters. That was an especially cool touch. Somehow you put up with the barrage of them and didn't kick me out as a listener. (laughs) Whoever was your number one fan of 2019, they've been unseated. Thanks big time for answering those. We're happy to. That's right. And for people who don't know what Sheldon's referring to, he asked a a number of questions in our December show and we got other co-hosts of the show to, to answer his questions. On to the first episodes of the season, I am completely, in big capital letters, I am completely over the moon about the start of this new season. The pacing, the music, the fullness of the episodes, while still able to have still moments, is really well worth the wait. I listened to both your hot takes so far, and I agree with most of what you commented. But what happened to the Chibnall death count? The scream at the end always makes me chuckle. Uh, look, as we mentioned our third hot take, um, a couple of listeners have asked us that question. We just wanted to streamline the episodes. They were starting to go a bit longer than we wanted, so we uh, just, just cut them out a little bit. So sorry no. you missed that. <coughs> like you guys, I've noticed the interest in where this master falls in relation to Missy, but a lot of people seem to be focused on that. I don't really think about it as much because I was focusing so hard on Janie's performance of number 13. At the end of the second episode, there seemed to be a change in how she's communicating to the team. Not so much of a smolder, but a pensive stillness that I really hope they explore further for the rest of the season. I feel like number 13 needed to do a bit more do-as-you're-told in her character in relation to those hooligans in the box with her, and maybe now there will be. The excitement about the timeless child is setting the interwebs on fire too. So many good things for me to look forward to and dissect in exhaustive detail. <laughs> I had a whole bunch of other things to bring up, but I seem to have forgotten them now I've started to type. Getting old as a bitch. <laughs> Till next time, all the best. So look, some good comments there from Sheldon. Rob, anything that stood out to you? Oh, look, talking about the timeless child, wasn't that just the biggest topic online? And then Orphan 55 happened. I seem to keep coming back to Orphan 55. That seemed to kill it dead, Dave. I've not seen anyone talk timeless child in the past week. Yeah, look, you're right, Rob. Conversation does seem to have moved on, but that's natural. Yeah, but I'm sure it'll come back. I'm sure it'll come back again before the big payoff. I'm sure it'll be teased out in other episodes and, you know, we'll get back on track with that topic. Yeah, look, I expect so. Moving on to another email, this is from Peter Deadman. Hi, Robin Dave. After nearly a year without the show, I was expecting good things from the new season when it started. Well, I can confidently say it wasn't a classic pair, but it was heartening to see some good bits which avoided many of the sins of the previous season. What I liked. The new master is really good. Loved his portrayal, and aside from Sir Derek Jacobi's brief stint in Utopia, it's my favourite incarnation of the Master in the new series so far. I just never liked John Sims' version, and Missy just felt a bit off to me. Another thing he liked, there was some good drama and peril. Unlike the previous season, the Doctor and companions actually felt in danger sometimes. And finally, period details are always done well by the BBC, and even if the outback scenes were only okay, the story kept moving. What Peter didn't like, the plot was resolved off screen. I went back in time before this happened and fixed it. It feels a bit like Curse of Fatal Death levels of hand waving. <laughs> also, why could no one just grab the master? There's three of her companions on the plane, at the warehouse, etc. Why does no one just try and seize him rather than let the master exposit? 
Too much talking. The Eiffel Tower scene, for all its interesting parts, didn't feel that tense until the master grabbed her by the throat. Instead, they just talked at each other. Chibnall needs to show, not tell, more often. Overall, though, a good introduction. Here's hoping the stories continue at this level or improve further. Cheers from Peter. Yeah, some good thoughts there, Peter, and I broadly agree with most of them. We, you know, we like the master. We said that uh, the exposition is a Chibnall problem and continues to be. And look, we even made mention of the fact that, yeah, that whole, um, I went back in time and bribed the architect first from Curse of Fatal Death really did feel <laughs> like it. And it's been brought up even in the next episode because, as we discussed earlier, one of the controversial parts of Orphan 55 is that the Doctor didn't save several people or seems to have not saved several people. Well, why can't she go back and save them? Yeah, there does seem to be a darkness creeping into this Doctor, a bit of edge. I mean, that line, you know, I could make you out of some crayons and a tin of spam. Stuff like that, fantastic. You mm. know, I, I hope it does continue. It's good. Our next comment is via Facebook, and it's from Baz Warrington. Thank you for contacting us, Baz. Great Christmas show, guys. Good fun. Just rewatched Spyfall, and I thought it was pretty good. I did not see the twist coming, although on my rewatch, there were a couple of signs. The episode moved at such a pace that they are easily missed. All you know is a lie worries me a little, though. Is Chibber's going to rewrite some more show lore? Mm. I don't think you're alone in that concern there, Baz. <laughs> On the subject of Doctor Who in Song, there exists a trance duo called Eat Static, named after the Khan line from Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, who have a track on an album called Abduction. The track is Kinetic Flow. It samples a great Pertwee line throughout. I shan't spoil it. Ooh. Okay, we'll have to look that one up. Generate a tremendous charge of psychokinetic energy. Looking forward to the year's shows. Peace, love and truth, Baz. Fantastic. And obviously that's... That's in reference to one of the questions on the December episode. A listener wondered uh, how many times Doctor Who had been referenced in songs, and that's one I would have never come up with, Dave. No, no, thank you for bringing that to our attention. I'm sure a few people will log that up. We'll see if uh, there's a YouTube clip of them that suddenly gets a spike in views. Yes, <laughs> very good. Moving on, we have Owen Prince by Facebook. He says... Okay, I've been thinking about the timeless child and now have a new theory based on some older Who lore. It goes back to the other, who it turns out, according to the lore, is the Doctor. Gosh, is that spoilers, Dave? It's been a couple of decades. Yeah, like <laughs> not 97, 98, I think that came out, yes. Yes, when Omega, Rassilon and the other founded the Time Lord culture, the other threw himself into the loom and was reincarnated as the Doctor. Perhaps the Doctor and the Master share the same genes and were split while being artificially created because Time Lords cannot procreate, thanks to the Sisterhood of Khan, and they are the yin and yang of the other, split in half, and as such were renamed the Timeless Child. How's that for a theory, Dave? Look, I love a bit of loom talk. I, I'm very much a nerdy Doctor Who fan that loves the looms and certainly doesn't like the idea of the Doctor having, you know, relationships. Um, <laughs> so I'm totally buying this. And, yeah, I think there is some money on the Timeless Child being something to do with the relationship between the Doctor and the Master. Pure speculation. I know nothing. Just speculation that I'm reading. I know nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, just to, to loop in Baz again, because he was saying his Chibber's going to some, rewrite some show lore. 
yeah, I think it's got to relate quite deeply to the Master. I, I don't think a general Time Lord lie would really cut it uh, for him to destroy Gallifrey. Uh, so, again, as I said originally, I just hope Chibbers has got something good up his sleeve. If he is going to start rewriting Time Lord lore, let's hope it's good. Here, here. Another email, this time from David Clark. Hi, Dave and Robert. Let me start by saying I enjoyed tonight's episode, 6 out of 10. I thought the monsters were pretty scary and well done. The story was good, and I like the fact that it was a future Earth, and the Doc tried to protect them from that knowledge. I've already seen some negativity on social media about being lectured to about climate change and how it ruined the last two minutes, and normally I would agree, but with what's happening at the moment in your wonderful country, maybe it's perfect timing, and I hope you and your families are okay. The Doc, of course, isn't a stranger to this type of message episode, Just Watch Inferno. Anyway, on a lighter note, guys, myself and my poor wife have started watching right from the beginning again, and by that I mean 1963, and I'm making her give points out of 10 for each story. Such fun. Well, for me, anyway. Cheers, Dave. <laughs> uh, look, so Dave, thank you again for um, referencing the Australian bushfires. And, you know, yes, look, us and our families are okay, but we do appreciate it. I think, Rob, you and I, and a lot of our friends, I think, all had the view the message was a good message. The message was in keeping with traditional Doctor Who going right back to the 70s, if not the 60s. Mm-hmm. Our problem was with the how it was done, not yeah. what was done. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Quite quite agree. And why do I get this feeling, Dave, that uh, Dave Clark's uh, wife is being tied up when he's making her <laughs> watch these episodes? And he's like, give me the mark out of 10 for this episode. Give me the mark out of 10 for that episode. Yeah. I just have that visual. I'm sorry. The, the question is, is he skipping missing stories or making her do reconstructions or audios? Oh, that is a good question. Right in, David Clark. Please. Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> we have now a uh, email from Ben PM. G'day, fellas. I'm enjoying your hot takes as usual, so cheers. Well, thank you, Ben. Uh, for the third episode of the current season, you mentioned that perhaps Chibnall's Doctor Who is more aimed at children and is therefore more simplistic. I agree, but I think it's worth remembering that children are far less inquisitive these days than they were in the 70s and 80s when we were growing up. Oh, this is a controversial opinion, Dave. Let's <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, as a child, I definitely understood what Pertwee meant when he subtly said, greed. That was a quote you threw out last uh, uh, hot take, Dave. Mm. But I didn't grow up with a screen glued to my hand and I liked to read. I imagine the same is true for you two. The experience of children today is totally alien to us. I'm really enjoying Chibnall's Doctor because of how lefty it is, as it aligns very much with my own beliefs, but the overly restating what was already made clear at the end of Orphan 55 irritated me. That being said, I teach children, and they certainly need these kind of ideas overtly hammered home, so it's not tough to back up what they're doing 100%. Anyway, let's hope there's some more subtlety to come. Cheers from Ben PM. That's really interesting, Dave. Yeah, look, it really is. I often wonder whether sometimes we of our generation and older misjudge the kids because whilst they're glued to their screens, that is the equivalent of, to the library! Uh, you yes. know, we sit there and go, hey, this Marco Polo character, I want to know more about him. I mean, we go down to the library and we look in the card catalogue and we find Marco Polo in the Dewey Decimal System and we're looking him up, whereas a kid today would just type wiki Marco Polo, enter. Yes. And, 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 you know, and you can go from there. Are we being too generous, though, in saying that actually that's just not what they're doing on the screens? I don't know. I don't have kids. 
Um, mm, me either. So, so uh, look, that's an interesting piece of feedback from Ben. Um, and and maybe I mean, as somebody who you know teaches children, maybe he's right. Maybe they do need to be. Maybe they do need to have the lesson hammered home. Ben, I, I I can't validate you there, and I can't tell you you're right or wrong. Um, it's a really interesting piece of feedback though, and maybe other listeners have got other thoughts. Yeah, and look, I know for listeners, this is becoming the Orphan 55 episode, partly because we have a lot of feedback on it, and partly because it's the most recent episode we've seen, and it was the first episode of this series that had sort of fallen down, so we seem to be mentioning it a lot. And I just want to highlight that here is a prime example of Ben PM saying, you know, I'm really enjoying Chibnall Who because it's quite lefty, and I like that, you know, but even with that... He still thinks it was a bit too preachy at the end, you know, and that is just a common theme among so many people. It is. We'll continue with our Orphan 55 feedback, this time via Twitter from Owen Prince, who tweets at Kellogg's 24. I watched it earlier today and I wasn't overawed by it. It was a decent little tale and Jodie did what she could with the monologue at the end. But what's it leading to? Does the fam start to have second thoughts about travelling with her and that spurs the season along? Just the look on the team's faces at the end made me think, between the end of this episode and their probing for information about the mad woman in the box at the close of episode 2, maybe the seeds of doubt are being planted and perhaps O might take advantage of that. Dot, dot, dot. Well, look, certainly people were saying in uh, Spyfall Part 1 that the relationship between Yaz and O was quite uh, interesting and they could almost see her maybe running off with him, becoming a sort of companion to the Master. I'm not sure if it would go that far, but obviously we haven't seen the last of the Master. Obviously he's going to come back. Could he push on these issues? That's really, really interesting. I think... I think something's got to give with the fam. You know, as I was hinting earlier, you know, are they going to bump one of them off? You know, what's going to change with the fam this series? I think something's got to change. It would be really interesting if the Master came in and maybe, I don't know, bumped off Graham or something. Wouldn't that be incredibly tragic, incredibly dramatic, incredibly impactful? As much as I love the Graham character, I think I want to see something like that, Dave. My speculations on something more like Tegan in Resurrection of the Daleks and actually disowning the Doctor and what the Doctor's done and what the Doctor's caused and that maybe the Doctor isn't as good as they thought she was and that disillusionment. So uh, from the same speculation, we're going in very different directions and it's going to be interesting to see if either of us are right or there's something else completely going on. But yeah, really interesting thoughts from Owen. Mm. And finally, uh, Peter Deadman's back. Another email to round us out here. He says, Hi guys, just some quick thoughts about Orphan 55. I had some serious flashbacks to last season where the better historical episodes were surrounded by several one-off base under siege stories of varying quality. I'm thinking especially of Ghost Monument or Saranga Conundrum. Whilst I agree that in the classic series there was a note of activism at times, it was usually handled better and with less ham-fisted obviousness. Whilst I am by no means not receptive to the message, I really dislike being lectured to by entertainment. I found the preaching in it extremely off-putting, and whilst I could overlook it somewhat in that episode, I had enough problems with the rest of the episode that I could not do so. Overall, I thought the core team was good this week, even though Yaz has gone back to doing nothing of interest. I found the guest cast either irritating or unremarkable. I was about ready to turn it off if anyone else started shouting, Benny. Oh yeah, you and me both. <laughs> uh, a steep decline in quality this week from last week, and I hope for a return to form next week. Cheers from Peter. 
some good thoughts there from Peter. Uh, don't quite agree with all of them, but I can certainly see where you're coming from. I certainly agree this was a return to the base under siege stories like the Taranga Conundrum, but I did think that aspect of the episode was probably the strongest part of the episode. Uh, I certainly agree, Peter, though, that Yaz has really gone back to being in the background, and I'll be very interested in episode four to see whether Spyfall is the accurate prediction of where Yaz is going or Orphan 55 was. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, and I think Peter just summarises what we thought and what so many have thought online, even though obviously you have some you know, slight disagreements there, Dave. I think generally Orphan 55 is where it took a nosedive and we just hope for something better, which everyone will have heard by the time you're hearing this episode. I've got to say, you'll have actually heard our hot take before you hear this episode. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. very timey-wimey, Dave. Uh, it is. So, Rob, that's all the feedback we've had so far. Yes, it was really good to get to that. You know, obviously listeners don't see this, but it's been mounting up in the background and we haven't been reading it in hot takes to keep them moving along and nice and quick. Uh, And I've been wanting to rip into it and read it out and let everyone know what our other listeners of our show are thinking. Yeah, so we really do appreciate that. Over the next few weeks, there will be more hot take reviews coming up, episode four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, They're going to come out across the rest of January and February. Mm -hmm. We will be doing our February monthly episode on the 23rd, uh, which will be very similar to format to this. We'll talk about some general stuff and then just, again, reflect on where we are with the season so far. Read your feedback, listeners. So, again, we invite you to uh, submit it. I'm going to be absent for hot takes nine and ten, though. Oh, nine and ten, Dave. It's probably. I know. That's probably the most important episodes of the series. Yes. No. I'll be sitting in hotels somewhere in the new world, trying to get iTunes to work and show me Doctor Who. Um, you know, <laughs> hoping the hotel Wi-Fi is is good enough quality. But in March we will do a wrap up, and I will give my views on episodes nine and ten. Mm, very very good and also Dave I believe by mid-April we'll pop out that podcast of decision three that we've been talking about that you've recorded down there in Melbourne yeah absolutely so that'll come out in mid-April once we've got past doing weekly episodes punctuated with monthly episodes which is quite a bit of a, a um, not, not a burden because we really enjoy doing it but it, it does take a lot out of your time doing all yeah. these yeah yeah, it's, it's a tough time of year these 10 weeks, always. Uh, and then we'll be getting probably into some classic Who topics. Yeah, I think so. After three months of very intense new Who stuff, we'll get back to some classic stuff. Don't you worry if you're a fan of the classics. Now, before we go, Rob, I've got a non-Doctor Who but sci-fi related question for you. Oh, okay. So, like many Australians, over the course of summer and the Christmas and New Year's break, and we haven't quite... and we, which, which sort of ends today with Australia Day, as you're listening to this... Mm. Um, I've been catching up on a lot of TV and I've uh, watched a few shows. Um, uh, The Boys was one that I watched that was really good. I've caught up on some other stuff. I did get back to watching Lost in Space because I saw that Series 2 has come out. I'm now five episodes into Series 1 of Lost in Space, which means I'm halfway through the first series or a quarter of a way through the series so far. Mm -hmm. And whilst I'm appreciating it, I'm not loving it and i'm interested to hear feedback from you and indeed the listeners should i keep going well that's a great question i I feel unqualified to answer because i haven't watched the new lost in space but what i can say about it is that i've seen trailers for it and i looked at it and i thought you know what i i think i'd just be bored by this show and look there's there's dozens of other shows and movies i need to watch 
it's not even been on my radar. So I can't say, no, don't watch it based on I've watched it and I think it's horrible or anything like that. But maybe I can say, yeah, don't bother watching it because to me it looked boring and there's probably a lot of really good stuff out there that you could watch instead. Yeah, so look, maybe listeners, you might have some feedback. Do, do send um, the show or me a tweet. I'll be interested to hear. Um, Sex Education Series 2 is start, has, has, has come out, so I'm going mm. to start watching that. Uh, there's another series that starts in a few days, Rob. There is, there is. Uh, but I was just going to say in terms of uh, tips, I've just been finishing uh, James May's Man from Japan on Amazon, and that is absolutely fantastic. If you love someone getting around Japan, having weird experiences, just like Clive James used to do back in the 80s, that series I can highly recommend. But yes, a new series, Dave. Uh, yes, uh, Picard is out. That's right. It's had a, uh, a premiere, I think, in the UK. They might have done one in the US as well. Very, very controversial within fandom going into this. Uh, a lot of fans think that Patrick Stewart's take on Starfleet and what's going on could be uh, a bit, well, maybe not the best of storylines, you know, but I'm, I'm reserving judgment until I get in there and see what they're doing with it all. You know, will it ruin the Picard character for me? I have no idea. Other people out there have already decided that it's ruined it for them. Um, and, you know, and, and Starfleet wow. and, you know, how things work out in the timeline and all of that stuff. Lots of controversy there. I'll be watching it, keeping an open mind. I'll watch the whole thing. Uh, I like the Picard character. Uh, that's all I've got on that. Maybe we'll touch base in our February monthly episode and see how we're going with Picard. I think we should, yeah. Okay, let's do that. So the next thing you will hear from us will be our hot take of episode five, which comes out tomorrow. And... God, this is very timey-wimey again, Dave. <laughs> You're doing my head in. We haven't recorded four yet. No, but we will be recording five and releasing it the day after you hear this, or at least the day after we release this. Uh, then more hot takes as the month goes on. Just keep engaging with us on social media. Uh, one of the reasons why I love this time is that it's not just that it's good to see new Doctor Who, but the fun of engaging with fans all across the world literally all across the world just about this show and what we like and what we don't like it's, it's really it's really a fun time and we enjoy that so please continue interacting with us we we really love it absolutely and like we said we'll do similar on our next episode so if you've got emails and such write them and we'll read them fantastic but until then i've been dave and i've been rob and we'll be speaking many times soon we sure will see you dave bye bye You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.